Okay, so where are we at? Last week, last week, remember we were talking about last week the um, the, the priest, like the, the church starting to close its ranks. Remember that? We talked about the development moving towards one uh, lead bishop over all the different churches, what will eventually become the pope. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, not today, but, um, you know, as they have multiple pre, you know, have like the bishops of the schools and then head bishops of the areas like Carthage and Alexandria and Jerusalem and then like Jerusalem Falls and Alexandria, you know, and, and so you still have people starting to um, uh, to develop into these ideas and, and that, um, um, excuse me. My phone's ringing. Um, develop into these uh, these one monarchical priesthood, one ruling supreme priesthood that will eventually develop into the Roman the Roman Church will take over. Remember, we talked about that. We also last week talked about um, what, what else we talked about. Talked about the development of creeds, right? And the first one, well, the first one we talked about was the baptismal creed. That was the one that seemed to develop first. And then we talked about the Apostles' Creed, which is the earliest one that we have record of. Um, and then we didn't get to finish that conversation on the church closing its ranks. So we're still on that topic as we begin today. Um, and as we start today, we're really talking about the New Testament canon. Um, with the authoritative belief in creeds, with the authoritative bishops, um, it begins to ask the question, which books are authoritative and which ones aren't? Which ones should we turn to? Which ones? And there's a big misconception out there. You go online and you can find it all kinds of ways. And I've heard it in churches. And, 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 and it's, it's just because of lack of knowledge. There's this misconception that, this thing, that these things happen at councils. Like the Council of Nicaea decided these were the books and cut these ones out. That's not how this happened. It wasn't the council's that decided these things. Uh, yes, they may have pronounced this new, uh, the canon, New Testament, but it was just stating publicly what was already decided in the churches. Something that was developing over quite a bit of time. The development of the canon was a slow process that was, for the most part, completed by AD 175. For the most part. And I say for the most part because there were a few books whose authorship was in dispute. And we, as we talked to the New Testament, remember we talked about how some of these books, you know, like did this guy write it, like Second Timothy, you know. It's, we accept that Paul wrote it. But there's a lot of people that don't believe that Paul wrote it. And it developed much later, uh, you know. Uh, you know, and, and these other things that... Um, you know, but as like heretical groups like uh, Marcion, who 
had his own canon and had all kinds of other group, you know, other teachings. You know, you might associate it with like, uh, like the you know the the Book of Mormon. So people say that's canon, you know, part of the scripture. You know, the the, the LDS says that's canon. We would say no, it's not. It's not canon. But remember, they had never officially, as a church, said this is canon. So as heretical teachers come in and they say, well, this book is canon. There was no wide acceptance, just general practice. You know, mo the churches had generally accepted certain books and rejected others because they don't agree with the other books. But there was no... Um, and so it became very... Um, No, you know, there was no, because they, they needed to say, well, exactly which books are we looking at, which ones are we not. As these heretical teachings are coming in, as people are dying for it, you know, they say, we're dying for Christ, we need to have a book we can stand on. Um, and so... This, the, this, these lists start to develop, and the list will develop over time. You know, one person says, you know, um, you know, so the, the, um, the first thing that they're looking for when they develop a canon is the um, apostleship. Is it written by an apostle, or does it have the touch of an apostle? Um, such as Mark, who, which was, is, is very, since very early, was tradition that was written by the aid of Peter, which was Peter's works. Uh, Mark was the scribe. Um, so they, they looked for apostleship. They looked for the capacity of a book to edify when read publicly, to edify, you know, to edify the congregation. That's, you know, the, if it doesn't edify, then it, you know, then it's it's not what you know what they're looking. You know, they were looking for. Um, does it agree to the rest of the the scriptures? You know, the Old Testament. The you know, they don't want anything that doesn't agree with the rest of it. And there are several books out there that some people argue this needs to be in here, and this one needs to be. Out. Book of Enoch's a good example. It's a lot of people say it needs to be in the canon, and it was at one point, but it doesn't line up with. The, and it was very well read in the Second Temple period time of Jesus, but it doesn't line up. You go read it; it doesn't line up with the rest of the scriptures. Very different, very different. Has very strong Persian influences, um, and so they so they're like, well, that doesn't match the criteria. Um, the epistles of Paul, the letters of Paul, were first collected by leaders of the church of Ephesus. Um, probably as the, he wrote them and they were, because his epistles were, uh, remember we talked about them being uh, passed around. Cyclical. Passed around. And so, they started gathering his writings, and so the church of Ephesus collected them. Um, it was the collection was followed by the collection of the Gospels, um, sometime at the beginning of the second century. 
Um, the Muratonian Canon was discovered by Muratori in 1672 in the library of Milan, and it was dated to about 180, and it contains 22 books of the New Testament. And as saying that, that there were 22 books labeled as canon. Uh, Eusebius in a, uh, about 312 um, thought at least 20 books of the New Testament were acceptable on the same levels as the books of the Old Testament. Uh, James, Second Peter, Second, Third John, Jude, Hebrews, and Revelation were among the books who were placed in the canon were under still consideration by 320. Um, It, but, however, by 367, that was the date, 367, um, Athenaeus, in his uh, Easter letter, lists the, the same 27 books that we now have as the can canon. So, it wasn't until 327, so think about that, if Jesus died, what? Say we, we, we use shorthand and say 33, even though it's probably not exactly 33. And we could talk about the exact date. Was there four Passovers or three? We could talk about all that stuff. We use shorthand and just say 33. You know, was he born in 6 BC or 4 BC? You know, all that throws it off. Um, and then, you know, and then the Bible was written early. I, I accept an early dating of the Bible, so it's all written by 100, you know. So all of that, so it takes about 200, almost 300 years for all of this to be officially recognized. Now, like I said, it's only about 50 years later that it's, you know, 70 years later that it's well established in practice. But it's not till about 367 that these that this list that contains the same one, um, the council at Carthage. So a lot of people want to say this is the Council of Nicaea, and I and I don't know where that tradition comes from. But it was the Council at Carthage in 397 that approved and gave uniform expression to what was already stated. So by 397 the the, the, all the leaders got together and said, yes, we, we, we agree with this list that you guys have been following for the last 30 years. <laughs> uh, because us leaders are slow. That's just how we work. Um, We've got to evaluate. Um, and, of course, at that time period, there's no Internet. It, has, it takes a while for them to get everyone together and write the letters and debate back and forth and... They actually had to handwrite. There's no shooting off a text or an email. Um, you know, I was thinking about that today as I was thinking about the new uh, Passion Bible that's coming out or being written. How fast I already know I don't like it. Um, because I read part of it and I said, wow, that does not match at all with the Hebrew and the Greek. That is a paraphrase and I don't recommend it to anybody. 
but it's written, but I already know that. And I was thinking about that as I was thinking about this. How long would it take, you know, if someone wrote something and then it has to be passed around by hand, rewritten, read, evaluated, traveled over, shipping by land and everything like that. I was like, wow, that would, no wonder it takes forever for things to be finalized. <laughs> um, as where today I just say, oh, passion, I read portions of it and I say, oh, I don't like that. Yes. No. The book of Enoch is listed in a couple of the list um, that we have, you know, like the list of approved reading, you know, they, you know, but it wasn't like this is the Bible. Um, churches at that time would have books, you know, like scrolls or codex were developing at this time period, and some had codexes. Those are what will become books, um, you know, sewn pieces of paper of, of papyrus together. Um, and, and so some of them would have that, and a lot of them just would have scrolls. And so this church might, over here might have these ones, and this one over here may have these ones, and this church over here may have these ones, but there was no, like, printing press, so there's no, like, here's the Bible. And so what the bishops would do, especially in the schools, is they'd put together lists of books they thought were authoritative. You know, and it started out with, like, you know, like a pastor may have, like, a, you know, a recommended reading list. You know, if I like when I actually when we first started this church history stuff, I said these are the books I'm using, right? Recommended reading list, um, and uh, and so those are how and so it started. That's how the Bible started. Was you know, how which ones are we following? And Enoch was part of a couple of those lists because of its very it's, it was very popular in the second century, uh, second temple period, like the time of Jesus. Even Jude references it. But over time, it falls out of favor because it is so different. And I don't know if you guys have read it. Um, I have a couple of copies. It's available online. And if you want to listen to it, it's on YouTube. It's a very long listen, but you can do it. <laughs> um, but it's very, very different. Um, what are some of the things you might recognize from it? Has anyone seen that movie Noah that came out a while back ago, uh, a few years ago? Um, we, we, you know, Rush Crow and uh, what's her name? Uh, Emma Watson was in there. And um, I don't know, all those people were in there. It was very popular. Um, and, you know, they had like the stone watchers, the, 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 the stone men. All that was taken from the book of Enoch. And so, as you think, so some of you guys were like, ooh, that, I don't know any of this story. That's very weird. That was all stuff that was taken from the book. Well, not all of it. Some of it was just Hollywood made up. Uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but so a lot of that was ideas that were taken from the book of Enoch. Uh, and, um, and so there was that. And it was, like I said, it's so different. It just fell out of the list. And I said, by, but by 367... Uh, you know, it was it wasn't part of the list. 
and um, you know, and we do have um, you know, so, you know, and, and and this this really shouldn't surprise us that it took so long. I mean, look at the Old Testament; they didn't really finalize what the Old Testament was. I mean, it was mostly finalized by the time of the exile in Babylon. But it wasn't like written down by the Masoretics who like said, this is the Old Testament until they were competing with Christianity in, in 80, 70 or so. And so it really should surprise us that it takes a while for these things, you know, these letters to be passed around and these things. Uh, you know, it happens relatively quickly compared to <laughs> the Old Testament because uh, that's how things... Uh, uh, religious text works. You pass it around. Um, we actually have about five thousand five hundred. Yeah, I have it written down here. Five thousand five hundred manuscripts to attest to the integrity of the Bible. Uh, the Qumran uh, test, and I'm not going to talk too much about Qumran. We already did that some in the Old Testament, and you guys can do your own research. Qumran, uh, K uh, Q U M R A N. Qumran scrolls, which is a Qumran was a community outside of Jerusalem that when the Romans came in, they hid a lot of the religious texts. They probably an Essene group, a Jewish group, and they hid a lot of the texts in caves and was found, and then, so they call it the caves of Qumran. It was found by a shepherd who lost a sheep in, in, in these caves, and he went in and finally found all these scrolls, and like including like the the. Uh, the earliest uh, book of the earliest translation of Isaiah is in there, um, and it's largely uh, you know, and um, so you know. Um, one of the things that people ask me mo a lot most about is the Apocrypha. Enoch is probably the most one, but then after that, it's the Apocrypha. Who's heard of the Apocrypha? Yeah. Anyone who's anything to do with the Catholic Church has, has probably made it even if you read it, because a good Catholic Bible has the Apocrypha in it. Uh, what is the Apocrypha? Who can tell me what it is? Yeah? All right, that's all right. It's a collection of books that are, uh, you know, if you're reading like a, a Catholic Bible, I have a couple of copies of it. Um, It'll be after, in between the, the Old and New Testament, like the book of Manasseh, like the, uh, um, there's additions to Daniel in there, the Bell and the Dragon. There's additions to the book of Jubilees. love the book of Jubilees, uh, even though I don't like it. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's different books um, that are found in there. Um, these books weren't added to the list until the 1500s. 15, I have it written down, 1546 at the Council of Trent. So they're in the original King James Version of the Bible in 1611. We call it the, the 1611. Uh, and so the Apocrypha is in the original King James e, uh, Version of the Bible. Now, why is the King James important? The 1611. Yeah, why is it important? It's one of the first widely accepted English translations. 
It was not the first English translation. Some of the earlier ones, King James kicked them out <laughs> uh, because he, they weren't King James. They weren't authorized. Uh, when it says authorized translation, guess who authorized it? It wasn't God. It was King James. Um, that's why it says authorized because it's King James. Now, it, King James Version is a good... I actually very, really like this, the way the King James rings in the Psalms. Uh, there are some things I question this translation of some of the Hebrew and Greek uh, as I study those things. Um, but I find that no translation in English is perfect. Um, because there are words in the Hebrew and Greek that we just don't have tra good translations for. Like the word chesed. Remember we talked about that word chesed? Which we've translated it as Love, loyalty, loyal kindness, tenderness, mercy. <laughs> uh, we translate it all kinds of ways because it's just not a word. There's no word in English that really translates into chesed. Um, and, um, and so all these, so like King James Version is, is fine. If that's the translation you like, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's an English translation that, it has its good and its bad. I love reading the, like I said, I love reading the Psalms, and I think some of the Psalms are absolutely, the poetic language, uh, elements of the, psalm, of, the, of the language aids my reading of the Psalms. I love that it's poetic, you know, so I love that. Even though, you know, but, uh, but yeah, so, but the, the, but, so the 1611 had the Apocrypha in it, and so a lot of people say, well, you took out 16 books of the Bible. At the, they always say it's Council of Nicaea for some reason. But those 16 books weren't actually added to the list until 1546. So over 1,000 years after, they added 16 books. And then later on, we took them back out. <laughs> Um, and there's a big, there's you know a lot of debate. Like I said, they're still in a, a Catholic Bible. You can you can read them for yourself. If you're looking for it, it'll just say like, you know, this translation of the Bible with apocrypha, and it'll have extra books in there. Um, um, yeah, and um, the Vulgate Bible will also contain the Apocrypha. And the Vulgate is a Latin translation, which was very important for the Catholic Church because why? Everything was in Latin. They're from Rome and they spoke Latin. So of course it was important because so as they translated it into Latin and you know from the Hebrew they it will have those things in it. Uh, any questions about all that? That sounds like a lot. I've thrown, just threw it at you. <laughs> all right. Now, this is, that was where I wanted to get to last, last week. <laughs> um, so we're kind of, whew, take, take a moment. We're switching gears. Where the church is still kind of closing ranks, but it's not really about that right now. We're talking about 
that translate. There we go. There's a map for you guys. Who doesn't like maps? We're talking about the barbarians. Yes, Conan. No. Um, we're not in the the the, the Cimarron. Um, the barbarians were lands that were. Um, Anywhere that wasn't civilized, I guess is what you saw. So any any, any of the non-civilized groups, a lot of them were Germanic, uh, the German people from the north. And they didn't follow in with what the Roman people or the Greco-Roman way would thought is civilized. You know, they were often tribal, tribal people, they, you know, uh, you know, farmers and, 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 you know, and the Russian horsemen and, you know, and all these different groups. Um, I'm going to, because I'm trying to focus in on church history, I'm going to skip a lot of history that you might find interesting about the German tribes and their religions and all that. It just, I just, I just can't get myself to talk about it because I want to stay focused. On church history, but it's fascinating. All the different tribes, and to call them all barbarians works as long as you're part of the civilized tribes. To say they were all the same, however, is like we call all Native Americans the same. And they're very different. You know, I grew up among the Navajo and the Zuni and the, Ho- the Hopi, and they're very different groups of people. And that just lived in the one area I grew up. And then there's the northern tribes. And those, and so they're all very different groups. But, like I said, the, the writers of history were the, the Romans because they won the battles. Um, they were all just the barbarians. And so it's, um, yeah. But as the barbarians... Um, as Christianity spreads, one of the things that they do as they, they, they leave the boundaries of what is civilized society and they travel into the barbarian regions. And this is, we should expect this, right? It is, we, I mean, we're called to go ye therefore to all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And sometimes we do this good throughout history, you know. Tell her about Christ. And sometimes we do this very badly by saying if you don't adopt our way of life and, and, and our religion, and, and then we're going to just kill you or put you in special homes so that you, we stamp the devil out of you or, you know, take away your children from your home so that we can raise them right. Um, you know, we've done some pretty horrible things in the name of religion. But sometimes through history, we do a good job with it. I mean, look at the, the spread of the Christianity into the Greek world. It was very much a natural flowing people of Christ and his love. And the first, at first when they went to the barbarians, it was a very natural outflowing of the love. Um, 
later on, not so much. <laughs> As Christianity becomes the powerhouse, and anytime there's power, well, then there's a threat to power. And if there's a threat to power, what do you got to do? You got to fight to keep the power. And then you usually break the Bible because he says, you know, peace I give to you, not as the world gives it, but as, which means through force. When they say, well, we're going to give you peace through force, which is against the Bible. But, um, but like I said, when there's power to be had, there's always power to be lost. And so we've got to fight to keep the power. So that's uh, one of the shames of, of Christianity. But like I said, when it first spreads out, it goes out naturally. You know? A barbarian comes in to trade. They tell him about Jesus. He maybe accepts. He takes it home with him. They go with him. Trades folk go. You know? People of Christianity go. Missionaries go. They, they tell the groups around the world about Christ. And so it's a very natural outflowing. Um, and, and we have some good examples of uh, the spread of Christianity. Um, I'm going to list a couple, just as examples. Um, like uh, Frumentus, who lived about 300 or 380 A.D. Uh, he's a Greek of Tyre, and he comes to Ethiopia as a slave. Yes, in our world today, we only think black people can be slaves. Here was a Greek to a black country as a slave. We've got to get over our, you know, we see the world through our transatlantic slave, slave trade, and that's, that's our problem because we did some horrible things through it. But slavery was around before that, so we, we kind of just, we got to get over our expectations that blacks are slaves, whites are, free, you know, here we have a Greek being a slave in a black country. Uh, <laughs> um, like I said, we have our biases as we look at that. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think it's great that we talk about uh, racial things as we talk about history because it helps us see the world for what it is. Because uh, we did do some horrible things and it's the lens we see the world through. As maybe it should be for a while, you know. We're not really that far away from the slavery eras. I mean, and especially the the segregation era. era. I mean, that was in the '60s. I know some of you guys were <laughs> uh, young, didn't? And, and I know the people in Congress were all in it. Um, <laughs> Um, anyways, um, so, but he went to Ethiopia as a slave, but he was later freed and he won Ethiopians to, uh, 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 Coptic Christianity and, um, and, uh, eventually he became the head of the Ethiopian church, um, which, um, will be under, uh, Ethiopian church will be under uh, the Alexandrian uh, rule, 
rule of bishops, I guess it was. Actually, it stays that way until 1957. Ethiopian church just now um, became independent, you could say, in the 1950s. So, um, so long-standing tradition there, and so it becomes uh, Ethiopian church, kind of an interesting uh, story there that we're not going to follow. But <laughs> um, another example, uh, the British Isles. Uh, they were one to Christianity in this period. Uh, we don't actually have much inter- uh, information about um, Christianity, how it came to the Celts of Britons. We just knew that it did. But it was largely planted there by Roman settlers and merchants who carried their faith with them. And uh, at some point, they might have... We see TV shows where they're like very rude and crude and they... You know, and there might have been some of that, but some of them were probably just, it was out of the love of Jesus Christ, they carried it with them. Um, so there's probably both sides of that story there um, as they carried it with them. Um, the Celtic church in Britain, the Celtic Christian church in Britain, did not recognize the um, primacy of the Roman bishop um, for a long time. And that was actually one of the things that caused some problems for it because the Roman bishop will uh, go in by force to for, for <laughs> make sure that the that, Ca- that Celtic church um, would become... Um, but um, the Celtic church was actually left defenseless when the Roman armies withdrew from Britain in the 5th century and uh, the, the pagans will come back in. Uh, pagans, um, the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes. Um, uh, during this time period, we also have... Um, well, the barbarians will invade in what you're looking this map right here. You're seeing all those lines up there. This is how the barbarians invade. This happens. I'm going to throw out the year 526. I got to understand this was not an organized attack. This is on 526 July 1st we're attacking. <laughs> There's a climate thing going on. There's some poverty levels, there's some other political issues going on, there's some weakening of the Roman Empire, there's a lot of things going on here that lead to different tribes attacking over the time. And we kind of throw out the 526 one there, um, just kind of to give you a timeline, it's around this period that they attack, we call it the the Germanic uh, barbarian invasion. Uh, And so it happens kind of more naturally than just they didn't have walkie-talkies, you know, and, and uh, telegraph it. Okay, it's 526, we need to attack. No, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on, like the Roman Empire is withdrawing and consolidating. The Roman, you know, uh, to understand a lot of what happens at the church, we kind of have to know Roman history because it affects the church that it's part of it. And so, like, it's contracting. Like, they leave the British Isles, and so that 
you know, you know, and as they see weaknesses, the the Germans uh, attack, especially the 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 Goths and the Visigoths. You guys might have heard those ones. How many of you guys remember your history in, in high school and you heard the name the Goths and the Visigoths? Yeah, some of you are like, no, I don't remember that at all. That was way too long ago. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, the Goths and the Visigoths uh, poured over the Danube into the Roman Empire um, as they were a warrior group. And, uh, and uh, as they were pulling out, Christians felt the call to, missionary, to be missionaries among the people that are pouring in and attacking. And um, they actually consecrated the bishop of the Goth, Gothic Christians because some of the Goths do accept Christ. And, uh, and, and some of them become, as they attack and conquer land, some of them become members of the Roman Empire. Uh, no, this will be before that. This is about the year 5, um, like I said, 526. Uh, um, so th- what you're talking about there in the Roman uh, uh, will happen a little bit later. Um, all right. Sorry, my phone's ringing again. Um, yeah, and the, the Teutonic invaders uh, from the Rhine River press in and attack the, um, the Roman Empire. Like I said, a lot of this happens kind of naturally as the Roman Empire shrinks. And so they start attacking in different ways, different groups of people. And... Um, Martin of Tours, uh, now the patron saint of France, um, was called to preach uh, during this time period who, uh, who settled uh, in what was called Gaul, which is the area of France today. And, um, and uh, so he will, be a, a mon- he, will, he will be a missionary there and... and um, during this time period, um, uh, who else would we talk about? Um, Clovis. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard of Clovis. He's one of those patron saints as well. Uh, to the Franks, uh, which will be in the German France area. Um, and um, he will be very important important in the Frankish area and um, uh, Patrick St. Patrick there's where you guys know St. Patty right yeah we got uh, um, 389 to 4 uh, 461 he becomes the saint the the patron saint of Ireland because um, he was taken from Britain to Ireland by pirates at the age of 16 lived there tending cattle for six years, and upon return to his homeland, he felt called to labor among the people of Ireland as a missionary. 
And there's all kinds of wonderful myths about him, like he scared all the snakes away. And, uh, probably a myth. <laughs> uh, but it's a fun story. Um, but he was during this time period because um, he was uh, instrumental in working among the priests of the Druid religion and, and, and leading them to Christ and building monasteries and uh, he will be instrumental in a time that is the, because um, at this time we get in, uh, in history, we get uh, what's called the, I'm going to put this in quotation mark because I'm not a huge fan, but it's the Dark Ages. Uh, we'll start about this time. And they call them the Dark Ages because people were not enlightened yet. You know, the Renaissance happened, hasn't ha you know, happened yet, and they were... They were ignorant. There was a regression of, of science. There was regression. And, and some people want to blame the church because the, and the church did say some things against scientists, but they also were the ones who led them out of the dark ages because they promoted schools and teaching and learning and reading and all these wonderful things. Um, in my opinion, as I've studied the dark ages, uh, so there's a, a lot of things leading to what we call the Dark Ages, including famine, yes. plagues, um, a climate change shift happened. Not like you know, like areas that were once feudal at this time became you know there was a climate shift that happened during this time period. So uh, farmland ha uh, shifted, um, and of course, anytime you do that, there's economic crisis. The Roman Empire was falling apart. So there's economic crisis there. And then, of course, I think slavery had a big part of, of the, uh, you know, slavery has been around forever. But anytime you have slavery in a society, they don't develop technology because why should I? I've got a slave for that. We see a big a lack of development in the United States as we keep slavery. Um, in the, especially in the South, because why should I? I mean, it was almost died out, and then they invited, invented the cotton gin, and they were inventing the cotton gin, and then the South kind of stops developing stuff, because why should I? I've got a slave for that. And so slavery, even in this time period, the Dark Ages, slavery is one of those things that leads to a regression in, in thought. Um, and uh, of course there's other things that are cribbing and there's a lot of different factors we can't history is an integrate conversation with the past we can't just say this is what caused one thing and I hate it when people do this is what caused it it's the, the Catholic Church they caused it or the, uh, slavery they caused it that's not how life works we live in life today right how many of you could say this is what caused our problems, right? You might blame Trump or Biden, but you know he just one piece of a much bigger machine. And there's a whole bunch of things leading to the problems that we're having right now. You know, some of them are local and some of them are worldwide you know we're seeing economic trouble all over the united states all over the world right now i was listening to someone in britain and they were talking about the economic problems that were happening there 
and what China's doing. That's all connected, all connected. The whole world is connected. So to say one thing caused anything in history is to say you're not dialoguing with the past. You're putting your point of view on the past. And that's just not how I, that's not what history is. History is a dialogue with the people that are long gone with different, part, po different points of view, different encyclopedias, we called it. Um, and so, so yeah, so there's a lot of things that led to the Dark Ages. Um, but, yeah, you know, but as they're going through this, Christians... There's a, the church is reaching out and, be, and sending a lot of missionaries, and they, they do, uh, in some ways, aid the Dark Ages in development, but they also lead out of it. Uh, for example, when there's plagues, the Christians were the first ones to stick around. As everyone else is playing, the Christians are the ones sticking around and helping. They're also starting schools to teach people to read and write, and, and you know, a lot of it was because they wanted them to read the Bible. But as you want to read the Bible, it opens up to reading all kinds of stuff. And so they helped lead out of it as well. Um, so, um, by 590, the church becomes free from persecution by the Roman state, but it, the problem, which is, is good, but it also becomes closely linked to the Roman state which is not good and um, and so as we see the Ro Greco Roman and then later the other the Byzantine empires and other things like that develop they become the Christian church becomes a state religion which does lead to some problems um, all right any questions about that I know I went through that really quickly because uh, I'm skipping a lot of history. <laughs> if you're really interested in this, go study this time period. Fascinating. Um, next week, we're going to talk about things like liturgy, you know, the Lord's Supper, baptism, feast, and stuff like that. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the... Um, we're going to talk about the church and the state. Which... Um, yeah. Oh, we're only in the 500s, 300s and 500s. The Reformation happens in 1500s. So we've got a long ways to go to there. Long ways to go to the Reformation. We're not even close. Um, so. Um, I am trying to... I know we're picking up speed because I'm trying to lay, I laid a, a foundation and we're trying to pick up some speed to get through some of this, but, uh, um, I don't know. I'll have to think on this. I feel like you're missing so much Roman history. Maybe I'll have to watch a video on Roman history. There's a lot of points. Maybe I'll send out a link with a video on it. That might, that might work. How would I do that? If you guys are interested, you know, in a video uh, link, shoot me your e uh, email, pastor at Laughlin Church. I'll, I'll, I'll include a, a link to a video 
about Roman history so you guys can kind of uh, see some of that. So Pastor at Laughlin Church, you can just send me your email address, send me a link, say, hey, just write in there, Roman history link, and I'll, I'll, I'll reply with a link. So we, don't, we won't watch it here, but I'll assume you guys are at least seeing it so I don't have to cover some of that stuff so we can keep going with church history. <laughs> Um, I will probably drop it in the description. I've already done that. It'll be in the description for next week. So I'll do that. Um, so, yeah, it'll be in the description of the video on LaughlinChurch.com, on YouTube uh, for next week as well. So, no? Okay. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about church and state and, and whatnot. All right. Any other questions, statements, concerns, comments? All right. I know we're 10 minutes early. You guys look like you're going to mind if I pray and let you go. <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father God, I praise you today, Lord. I thank you as we just study our past. Help us to dialogue with with our brothers and sisters of the past as we come to grips with the good and the bad that happened in the, your name lord we pray that you just help us to see ourselves in this dialogue and also to see our future and our past we just praise you for this opportunity in jesus name we pray amen